This is News Source 1 Mikiana. Welcome to your new afternoon and evening edition of News 2 Go. All the news and feature segments to keep you entertained and enlightened. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says there has been a human cost to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mothers and children we see fleeing across the border from Ukraine into, into Poland, into Moldova, into other neighboring states. Some coming here to Lithuania. The husbands, fathers, brothers staying behind to fight. Blinken is on a lightning visit to three Baltic states that are increasingly on edge as they watch Russia press ahead with its invasion. The Biden administration considering a plan to help Ukraine get more warplanes to fight Russia. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. Ukraine's president has been pleading with the U.S. and the West for help in retaining control of its airspace. Secretary of State Blinken says Washington is very actively looking at a proposal under which Poland would supply Ukraine with Soviet-era fighters and in turn receive American F-16s to make up for their loss. Such an arrangement would be necessary because Ukraine's military pilots aren't trained to fly U.S. fighter jets. Greg Clugston Washington. Also at SRNews.com, regular gas tops $4 per gallon on average across the U.S. for the first time since 2008. Julie Walker reports. California had the highest average at $5.29 on Sunday, while Missouri had the lowest, around three sixty. During the first full week of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the price of regular gas rose by almost 41 cents, according to the Motor Club AAA. Neither President Joe Biden nor Congress has moved to ban the import of Russian oil or place energy sanctions on the country, which could have major global economic repercussions. Julie Walker, New York. Stocks remain in the red now. The Dow off 640 points. The Nasdaq down 283. This is SRN News. Homemade pornography platforms such as OnlyFans are a risk to kids, but one expert thinks they're bad for everybody. We need to prioritize children. A good society prioritizes the safety of children. And we also need to ask ourselves, you know, how much does it benefit society to allow ourselves to be bought and sold in this way? Pansy Watson of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Isn't this something that, that helps all of us? If we get away from our own um, commodification and, and our own exploitation, even for those adults who claim it's voluntary, is this really ideal? Ideas for protecting kids can be found at insexualexploitation.org. The nation's largest pediatric hospital has stopped performing sex change operations on people under the age of 18. Texas Children's Hospital, located in Houston, will also stop using puberty-blocking drugs on kids at Follows an order by Governor Greg Abbott. This is SRN News. A large group of truck drivers who object to COVID-19 mandates drove two loops around the Beltway surrounding Washington on Sunday to make their feelings known to lawmakers in the nation's capital. This upstate New York truck driver, known only as Tom, told the Salem Radio Network, this is more than just a trucker's convoy. A lot of the truckers are getting the attention here, but it's not the trucker's convoy, it's the people's convoy. And if you look at the round of the crowd, it's it's people, it's regular people. There's probably more four-wheelers here than there are trucks. People crowded onto overpasses waving at the people's convoy. The Biden administration proposing stronger pollution regulations for new tractor-trailer rigs. The proposal released by the EPA would require the industry to cut 
smog and soot forming nitrogen oxide emissions by up to 90 percent per truck over the current standards by 2031. More details at srnnews.com. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. A fresh effort to implement a ceasefire to allow the creation of humanitarian corridors in Ukraine has failed after Russia again shelled civilian targets. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is dismissing Moscow's insistence that Ukrainians fleeing the fighting must seek safety in Russia or Belarus. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, also today poured scorn on the idea. Intense Russian bombardment continues news in the cities of Mariupol and Kharkiv, and there's been more shelling of Irpen, just 25 kilometers from Kiev. Reporter Anas Malik with India's Weon TV, an FSN affiliate, is in the Ukrainian capital. As I talked to you, we just heard another boom. Uh, it's again in the distance, so you don't know where this, uh, uh, what this boom was, but presumably this was one of those again uh, from the shelling. Kiev has been fortified by the uh, military, by volunteers. It's more of a ghost town and it, it gives that feel of that calm before the storm. More talks are underway between Russian and Ukrainian negotiators after it was announced today the country's foreign ministers will meet in Turkey on Thursday. The latest dialogue is taking place on the Polish border. FSN's Ryan Thompson is there watching Ukrainian refugees stream into Poland. This is a key arrival point for many of the displaced people coming from Ukraine, notably a number of children, women and elderly people. Once they get here, they are greeted and taken in, uh, basically put on the path to go somewhere else in Poland or potentially uh, within the European Union to get settled. According to Polish officials, Poland has now crossed the one million mark in terms of the number of refugees welcomed into the country. More than 200,000 Ukrainians have now fled to Lviv in the country's west. 200,000 more have entered Moldova, where the country's president says his tiny nation won't be able to accommodate many more. In the Baltic states today... The only way to actually implement something like a no-fly zone uh, is to send NATO planes into Ukrainian airspace and to shoot down Russian planes. And that uh, could lead to a full-fledged war. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visiting Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia and again expressing a determination that the US and NATO will not be dragged into war with Russia. FSN's Rosie Birchard is at NATO headquarters in Brussels. We do know that the United States is in discussions with Poland to transfer military aircraft into Ukraine for Ukrainian pilots to use. So NATO allies have been willing and remain willing to share weapons with Ukraine, including lethal weapons. But so far, that no-fly zone remains off the table. On President Biden's docket today, a virtual meeting with President Macron of France, Chancellor Olaf Scholz of Germany and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. This will be the biggest humanitarian crisis in Europe since the Yugoslav Wars and perhaps uh, even uh, World War II. Amnesty International's Europe director Niels Musignac, who spent the weekend urging countries in Western Europe to open their doors to refugees from Ukraine. More than one and a half million people have already fled, with their countrymen still clamouring for safe passage out of the path of Russia's invasion. The figures now are climbing very rapidly and are like, likely to reach significantly uh, larger numbers than we see today. And everybody has to do a part here. 
and the uh, it's going to be it's going to need a, a collective effort on the part of every European country, um, and everybody can help. This is not going to be a short-term crisis. This will be a long-term crisis. Even if the conflict ends today, uh, the needs will be huge for for a long time going forward. And the key is to sustain that solidarity, sustain that welcome, sustain that support. Tiny Moldova has taken more than 200,000 people already and is warning its economy cannot support them. Poland said this weekend more than 900,000 Ukrainians have already crossed its border. Western Europe thought it had seen a migrant crisis arising out of the wars in Iraq, Syria and Afghanistan. The UN is warning it needs to get ready to cut through red tape, open its doors and now save Ukrainians who are also fleeing. The main news again, fresh efforts to implement a ceasefire to allow the creation of humanitarian corridors in Ukraine failed after Russia continued shelling civilians. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov will meet Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba for talks in Turkey on Thursday. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken in the Baltic states again expressed a determination for the US and NATO not to be dragged into war with Russia. And that is the latest feature story news. Simon Marks reporting. Your weather forecast Monday rain and snow. High near 36. North wind 5 to 10 miles per hour becoming northwest 10 to 15 miles per hour in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 80%. Do snow accumulation of less than a half inch possible. Monday night a chance of snow showers and freezing rain before 2 a.m. Mostly cloudy, with a low round 25. West wind around 10 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation is 30%. Tuesday mostly sunny, with a high near 41. Southwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tuesday night mostly clear, with a low round 28. Southwest wind around 5 miles per hour. D&M Resale Shop locates at 915 Baldwin Street Unit 1 in Elkhart is your unique store that is just like a garage sale, but inside a store. Great items for you and your home. It's a store of love run by a local pastor. D&M Resale is open Tuesday through Fridays 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. and Saturdays 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. For more information, call 219-229-1220. That's D&M Resale Shop in the City with a Heart. Hi. I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there is a scene where young Susan finds out that Aslan is a lion, and she remarks, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. To which Mr. Beaver responds, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is how Psalm 76 describes God. Verses 1 and 2 read, In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem, his dwelling place in Zion. 
Now, I need to note that the words for abode and dwelling are misleading here because in Hebrew, the words are actually lair and den. God is being described as a mighty lion in Zion. And the rest of the psalm goes on to describe God as good, but also ferocious. He's not safe. Listen to verses 3 through 6. There he broke the flashing arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Glorious are you, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. The stout-hearted were stripped of their spoil. They sank into sleep. All the men of war were unable to use their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse lay stunned. I think it's quite timely for us to have arrived at Psalm 76 in a day when the weapons of war are in the news. I grew up as a child fearing the Russians during the Cold War. And it seems now that the Russian bear was merely hibernating for the last 30 years as we watch her military wreak havoc, devastation on poor Ukraine. And we in the rest of the world we sit by were afraid to do too much out of fear of starting World War III. But we read here of the great victories of the Lion of Zion from Israel's past. The arrows are broken, the valiant are plundered, they're sleeping their last sleep. This is likely a picture of the mighty Assyrian army, actually an army similar to the size of the Russians. They're all struck down in the night as they surround Jerusalem. The language of the horse and chariot, they recall the Egyptian army being wiped out in the days of Moses. Psalm 76 is reminding us that God is to be feared, and you actually hear fearing God is repeated four times in these final verses. Listen. But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment, to save all the humble of the earth, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Make your vows to the Lord your God and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, who cuts off the spirit of princes, who is to be feared by the kings of the earth. Friend, if I asked you what it was that you feared most, what would first come to mind? Psalm 76 actually tells us that any other fear, whether it's Russians or government, wicked men, that any fear of man is ultimately and utterly irrational because God alone is to be feared. The Lion of Zion is terrible and none can stand before him. God alone is big and people are really teeny tiny. And that's seen when God pronounces judgment. No one at that moment is going to make a peep. God is not safe, but he is good because he comes to save all the afflicted, all the poor and needy of the land. I think verse 10 is worth pausing on. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. Here's a truth we need to keep near as we watch the machinery of conflict devastating our world. It appears things are out of control, that our world is being overwhelmed by evil passion, but no, no, no. Even man's wrath is at work towards God's glory. It is all under the sovereign control of God, and he is using these war machines of men as his instruments to bring history to the glorious consummation that he has planned from the beginning. God has absolute control, and he will snuff out all of those who rebel against him. Granted, it's hard for us to see how all things are working themselves out for God's glory and the good of those who love him. But friend, we see so little. Our vision as creatures of time is so narrow. 
And you may say, but Joel, God is not known as he once was back in the Old Testament days. The God of Israel, who nations remembered for his devastation of those great armies of the world. God hasn't even had a temple on the mountain for 2,000 years. And you're right, my friend. Because 2,000 years ago, at the pre-planned time, God sent his son Jesus to become the final temple. Jesus was that place where heaven touched our earth. And the wrath of men fell on Jesus as rebels nailed him to the cross of Calvary. And how did that work out for them? You see, this was God's predetermined plan to pay for our rebellion so that we as believers could become the new temple. And that spirit, the spirit of God, has been at work throughout the world. They've even reached the wilds of Indiana and Heart City Church because it was God's plan to draw many to himself to glorify and enjoy him forever. And one day, when the last elect person is converted, the trumpet's going to blow and the lamb will return as the lion from Zion. And he's going to snuff out all the little men who have shook their fists at his reign. And you and I, we will praise our great God, who saves all the humble of the earth. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. This is Olivia. How is your Monday Eve going? On our radio station, we have the first of a two-part Our Story episode podcast from the Black Information Network. It is on bail bond disparities. Here for the PM show is part two. This is part two of our discussion on the cash bail system in America. I am your host, Ramses Ja, And today on Our Daily Story, our guest is Chris Jenkins, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped, Cash Bail in America. In this conversation, we'll be discussing the ways that disproportionately high bail costs impact black families and black communities. We get some insight into the effects that some cities have had upon eliminating the cash bail system. And we learn about some organizations that are helping to reform and address these issues, as well as how we can support them. Chris Jenkins is with us today on Our Daily Story, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped Cash Bail in America. Um... You mentioned earlier, once a person posts bail, they're able to, you know, get out and fight their case from a position of power and maintain their life, lifestyle. Um, what are some of the ways that disproportionately high bail costs impact black families and black communities, perhaps folks that cannot afford those bail sure. amounts? Sure. So let's just go back to William for a second, who we talked okay. about earlier. Um, and he is, you know, one of the main characters in our film. So when he was arrested in 2009, um, he was 30 years old, well, just, just had just turned 30, um, was about to go back to get his bachelor's degree hmm. um, and was had just become a father. Uh, and he goes away for 11 months. Um, and so what does that mean? <laughs> that mm-hmm. means a baby without a father, you know, for a year. That means a young man trying to better himself, um, getting his, getting interrupted, uh, his education getting interrupted and, uh, losing his job after, because when you're in jail, you can't work. Right. Mm-hmm. So he loses his job. Right. So let's just think about that. So not only does it impact, William as is present, not able to work. Not only does it affect his future, being able to go to school to better himself, and not only does it, it, it always it, just, it always impacts his child, right? In this case, right, right. because a child without a father. Um, so let's just ex- exponentially, 
you know, blow that up to the millions of arrests, the hundreds of thousands of people who are in jail every day and what's happening to them in their lives. Right. right? And so, um, so when we talk about disproportionately impacting black and brown communities, that's what's happening to black and brown communities, right? Kids going into foster care if they don't have, you know, a loved one, a grandmother or an aunt, um, to, uh, take care of the children while they are, uh, in, while these folks are fighting their cases in jail. Um, you know, loss of, of income, um, from, from not being able to work, uh, very often losing their housing. If they have mortgage or rent papers, they can't pay, losing that. Just think about the disruption that's going on in people's lives, you know, because of this, you know, for very, very small bail amounts, very often. Um, you know, I know the, you know, the folks who oppose the reform that's going on, you know, make a big deal out of, um, you know, folks who have committed more serious crimes. And that's a different question. Um, most people in this country, um, are arrested, um, and come before a judge for misdemeanors and low level felonies. Simple and plain. Um, and the reason why, um, there are so many people in jail right now largely is because of this issue of cash bail. You know, the jail population, you read some statistics earlier, Rams, just at the beginning of your, of our conversation about how many people are in jail right now. Well, that is almost a hundred times more than were in jail 30 years ago. Sure. And the main driver of why this, uh, this, this jail increase has happened is because of people being unable to pay their bail amounts. Just think about that. Yeah. These people, the, the, so 30 years ago, half the people that we have in Mount Ernst jail were, were in, in jail for, you know, generally the same stuff, right? No, what's happened is, <laughs> we have changed the rules and changed the goalposts so that now people who can't afford the bill are, are languishing in jail, increasing our jail numbers. So when we think about, you know, sort of the impacts on black and brown communities and the sheer numbers of people that we're talking about, this is the impact on black and brown communities and what's happening to them and what's happening to our communities. And I know for, and your listeners all know of people that's happened to. Um, and so, again, part of what we try to explore is, you know, why, you know, what are, what's really at stake here for, you know, our communities in these situations, you know, and we know about the over-policing that goes on in our communities. We know that more people are coming, more black and brown people are coming in front of judges because they're getting arrested because they're being over-policed. So sure. all these things are, all these things are come in tandem, right? Um, the reason why there's so many people in jail or in prison now, you know, is largely because so many people do plead guilty to crimes that they may or may not have committed, but they never had a chance to fight their cases from a position of strength because they're in jail, not paying, not able to pay their bills. All these things from the front to the back are all connected in one way or another to the issues of our cash bail system. I think that that's uh, another interesting point you make that, uh, Folks may, and I got this from, you know, watching the film, which I recommend everyone watch. Um, but some folks will actually take a plea just to get out because they can't afford bail, which earns them a, a strike on their criminal record or however you phrase that. And, you know, moving forward, that's something that affects their life, perhaps the trajectory of their life and what opportunities they can take advantage of just so that they can get out of jail and perhaps, you know, rejoin their current lifestyle. So, so, so Brianna, uh, the other main character um, in our film, uh, is a, was a 24 year old uh, young white woman, um, two kids, 
uh, first-time offender who was jailed outside of Kansas City. And uh, she was in jail, unable to pay her bail, um, and languished for five to six months um, while she was, you know, going back and forth um, with the during the criminal proceedings. Um, she wound up pleading uh, to a so her, her alleged crime was um, essentially identity theft. Um, she was caught with someone's um, driver's license. Um, and so they they, they um, arrested her uh, for identity theft. She was in jail for five months, waiting for um, you know her court to, her court um, proceedings to go through. Wound up plead wound up pleading to time served. So it was her crime was was nailed, was bumped down to a class D misdemeanor, which if she had initially. Uh, decided to plead guilty to would have gotten her three months. She wound up serving, you know, being in jail waiting for her case to, fo- to finish for six months. So the punishment that she would wound up pleading to was less than the actual time she was waiting in jail. Mm. I mean, so think about that. So, so when we're when we're talking about you know a lot of these crimes that are alleged crimes that are in the in the realm of misdemeanors, low level felonies, these are not long sentences. And if you choose to fight your case. From a position of strength, but you can't bail yourself out. You will be in jail, and very often, and, and likely, may be, uh, you know, in jail fighting your case longer than the actual sentence of the of the crime that you allegedly committed. Wow. So again, think about the perversion that's in our that is just endemic in our system. Um, sure. And in, and in her case, you know, very often these are crimes of poverty. Uh, these are crimes where people are you know are you know writing bad checks. And, you know, shoplifting, um, I could tell, we could sit here, uh, Ramses, and talk for hours uh, about the um, the folks that I spoke to in our country's jails, you know, folks who are in jail for five, six, seven months um, for passing a bad check, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, shoplifting. Um, and sometimes there's substance abuse, in, substance abuse involved. Sometimes folks are trying to, you know, perhaps the wrong way, but are desperate um, to put food on their table, um, to pay their rent, um, all the things that we know uh, happen in this country um, on a daily basis and how our nation continues to criminalize these folks through our uh, unconstitutional bail system. Okay, so there's an argument that suggests that bail money incentivizes police to make arrests, which has, of course, harmful implications in black and brown communities. Uh, this argument and others like it have pushed California, D.C., New Jersey, and even Harris County, Texas, to effectively eliminate the cash bail system we're talking about today. How have these decisions affected those places' pretrial populations? Mm-hmm. So California is a, a difficult case to uh, use as an example right now because they, you know, they had a, a referendum that. Um, that eliminated cash bail, but that was overturned by, um, uh, excuse me, there was a law that had uh, eliminated cash bail in California. Um, mm-hmm. and there was a referendum that overturned that law. So California is still going through, um, you know, trying to figure out the right way of dealing with bail reform. But let's just take New Jersey because okay. you mentioned New Jersey earlier. And let's also take DC. Let's start with New Jersey. New Jersey, um, essentially eliminated cash bail for certain low level felonies and misdemeanors. Um, and, you know, there was all this talk about how crime was going to increase, um, you know, how, you know, again, the soft on crime. Um, 
excuse, you know, by the police unions and correctional unions and that sort of thing. There has been nothing of the sort. Uh, there has not been, you know, so during when uh, New Jersey eliminated cash bail uh, for certain uh, crimes, I think that was in 2015 or 16, um, the issue, the crime did not increase. There's been obviously other issues around crime since the pandemic, which is a separate issue. But in the first two or three years after uh, New Jersey uh, eliminated cash bail for certain uh, certain crimes, uh, there was no increase uh, in uh, criminal activity around the city. And even in some of the quote-unquote high crime areas like Newark uh, or Trenton. Um, and so uh, there is a canard that has been used, particularly in New York, um, is trying to associate ca- cash bail reform with um, with increases in crime. And even the police acknowledge that some of the statistics they've used um, have not been accurate in how they, you know, sort of, you know, try to you know, try to show a correlation between the two. Um, but just speaking to your question, um, you know, we've seen uh, Durham, North Carolina. We've seen the state of Illinois, which is going through uh, cash bill reform right now, where they've eliminated cash bill for all crimes, which will take effect in January 2023. Okay. We've seen Harris County. Uh, we've we've seen other places around the country that are trying to bring some um, humanity to the system, not see the kinds of upticks immediately after they eliminate cash bail, for, depending upon what they, uh, you know, what the various different structures are. And so each, you know, reform law has been different in a lot of different places. Uh, but one thing to also think about is, and this never comes into the conversation, I find it interesting, uh, about the people who we hear about who you know, are in jail for uh, low felonies or uh, misdemeanors who actually die in jail, right? Um, you know, the, the folks who, you know, we hear about, you know, oh, it's going to increase crime, that sort of thing. Well, well let's also look at the other side um, of how the cash bail system, keeping people in jail who normally wouldn't be there and what happens to them at, at very often in some of our nation's jails. One of the things that I think people have forgotten about with the tragic Sandra Bland case, you know, from several years ago, is that Sandra was arrested on that traffic stop, um, taken to jail, and she couldn't afford her bail. Now, that's why she was in jail. Mm-hmm. And she eventually hung herself, as we know. Now, we know about the injustice of the traffic stop. We know about the tragedy of her death. Very often what is forgotten in the middle there is that she was in on a cash, essentially unable to get out because she didn't have the amount of money needed to, to, to bail herself out. Right. Um, and so, you know, you know, so as we have these conversations, and I encourage your listeners to be very skeptical um, of the fear monitoring that goes on from the right in particular about uh, what happens if you have bail reform is look closely at not only whether the statistics actually match up, but also look at the other side of things, which is, you know, dozens of people every year in Harris County actually dying uh, in jail when they don't know have to be there, you know, and the hundreds of people around the country where that actually happens to. Sure. So, you know, we talked about, you know, loss of job, loss of uh, how, housing, kids, that sort of thing, you know, education in William's case. It's also think about loss of life also when people are in jail uh, and they can't pay their bills. Absolutely. Very good. My guest today is Chris Jenkins, the producer of the YouTube original documentary, Trapped, Cash Bail in America. Now, you mentioned that uh, there is an opposition or rather a a push to keep the current cash bail system in place. 
And you mentioned that that opposition sometimes suggests that anyone who opposes the current system is trying to be soft on crime. What would you say to folks who support the current cash bail system who suggest that any opposition to the way things are right now is effectively being soft on crime? You know, a couple of ways of thinking about this. Um, I'm going to start with something I haven't actually talked all that much publicly about, but I just want to uh, bring it out to your listeners for consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you hear about this whole issue of increased crime because people are being let out of jail, you know, either on released on their own recognizance or released on, on less high bails. But no one ever makes that complaint when bail bondsmen bail people out and mm-hmm. um and are be are making money off of that bail. But if that person goes out and commits a crime, no one no police officers, no correctional institution says we need to get rid of bail bondsmen who are letting people out. We never hear that. Sure. We only hear that when reformers are talking about not allowing a a, a commercial entity from making money off right. of People. So let's just, I just want to throw that out there. Just, just to see what, what, who's arguing what when is really important in, in talking about this issue of bail reform. Because, first of all, a lot of people don't even understand bail. And part of why we made this film is because we wanted people just to understand what it actually means. So, you know, there's a lot of confusion. That's a lot of technology and bamboozling that's going on in terms of pointing the finger at who, when, where, and why. And no one ever points the finger at bail bondsmen when they release people and someone commits a crime while they're out on bail that a bail bondsman helped that person get. Right. So never been a call to eliminate the bail bond system. So let's just think about that for a second. Um, secondly, look, um, no one wants to be um, the victim of crime. No one. Um, and I, you know, I am... You know, I grew up in New York in the 80s. You know, I've, I've you know, been run up on, you know, the whole thing. It's yeah. incredibly scary. Um, but we have the system that we have for a reason. We have, like you mentioned at the beginning of, of um, our conversation, you are innocent until proven guilty. Um, we have a system where um, we allow certain folks to leave jail if they have money. You know, we don't allow people out if they don't have money. So, again, the person who has money and is able to bail themselves out, they may be just as dangerous, quote unquote, you know, or have the potential of committing another crime, just like somebody who didn't have the money. So we always turn our lens in the wrong place in this country when it comes to these sorts of things. Right. Um, You know, there are crimes that are being committed by people who. Um, have paid their bail amounts and doing these sorts of things. And no one ever really actually says anything. Oh, well, he paid his money. So that's just, you know, he's a bad person, but our system can't be broken because he paid his money back to money. We are so focused on money, you know, and distinctions of money and who can pay and who can't that we've lost all scale about the arguments around increases in crime and why it happens and that sort of thing. You know, there are social scientists who are way smarter than me you know, have made, you know, credible cases that when you allow people to uh, get out of jail, 
uh, to fight their case at lower that you know at fair bail at bail amounts or at um, not you know ask, being able to let them go on their own recognizance, which means just you know a promise to come back. They actually that ultimately those folks will actually not engage in further crime because they are out of jail. They are not desperate. Uh, they are able to continue with their lives. And so, you know, there, there are many, many ways of looking at this. Um, and I would just encourage uh, your listeners, whenever they hear that bail reform somehow means increase in crime, um, to just really take a hard look about who's talking, who's saying it. Because very often it's the American Bail Coalition uh, who made an appearance in our film um, who is stoking these flames to politicians finding one or two cases um, of people who are committing crimes maybe when they've been let go, but not taking a, a second look at the folks who have been released by bail bondsmen or people who pay their bails and only targeting people who, who may have you know been out on a lower uh, charge because of bail reform. They're only looking at one part of the, of the equation here. Yeah. And so we need to be very, very careful as you know we have seen bail reform efforts really take hold in places around the country. You know there's always a backlash. And a lot of times that backlash is going to be full of technology. It's going to be full of false assumptions. It's going to be targeted on one community. And we have to be careful about those kinds of false equations that we present in front of the the public. Very good. Well, um, fortunately, there are some organizations um, that are trying to change things. So what are let's talk about that. What are some of the organizations helping to reform or address these issues? And I think a better question would be, how can we support them if this is something that we want to see? So um, bail is a really complicated issue, as we talked about, and it makes it even more complicated is that it's really a locally run issue or a state, you know, or bail laws are set by the state level. Right. And so, you know, we hear a lot about criminal justice reform at the national level, and there really isn't a um, an effective way uh, necessarily of uh, eliminating cash bail um, on a national level at the, at, you know, at the senator or the congressional level. So all these fights are being waged at the local level. You know, you heard me talk about New York. We've talked about Illinois, California, Durham, North Carolina, New Jersey, um, Atlanta. Um, and so there are organizations that are trying to basically wage hand-to-hand combat in, you know, localities around the country, uh, trying to get bail laws changed, um, or to go to the state level and have bail laws changed at, at the legislative level, you know, in state capitals. And some of those organizations are some of the ones that are featured in our film, uh, Southerners on New Ground, run by an incredible uh, activist named Mary Hooks. Um, who is trying to bring um, some activist energy uh, to uh, bail issues all around the South, where some of the, as you can imagine, bail issues are some of the worst, you know, in rural counties around the, around the South. And so she's trying to bring um, some activism by changing laws. And she's done some great job. She did a great job in Atlanta uh, five years ago and trying to get, uh, the bail laws changed there successfully, but she's going on around the around the South, um, going to state to state legislatures and to uh, city councils and county governments to have um, uh, bail laws uh, changed there. Um, there are organizations that are challenging um, bail on a constitutional level, so they try to do it through the courts. 
So one of the, you know, I think the real heroes of our film is a guy named Alec Caracatansis, who has run an organization called Civil Rights Corps based in Washington, D.C., um, that is doing some of the work of challenging bail at a constitutional level. So, so challenging, uh, to go into federal court, district court and appellate courts to say that the practice of, of using cash bail is unconstitutional because it violates the 14th Amendment of due process. We talked about that a little earlier. Uh, and so those are structural changes that, you know, on people on the ground are trying to do in terms of changing the laws. Um, in a more immediate sense, there are organizations that are, in the meantime, trying to get people out of jail by paying their bills for them. They're called uh, revolving bail funds. Um, and Southerners on New Ground does a, does a little bit of that, the organization I mentioned earlier in Georgia. There's a national network um, called The Bail Project, which has, um, I think by now, two or three dozen um, chapters around the country where they raise money uh, to bail people out. And once the, those folks are done with their cases, the money goes back to them. That's what they call the revolving bail fund so that that money comes back to them after those folks have um, completed their cases and they get their bail amounts back. That money goes back to the organization. And so uh, we feature one of those organizations in Philadelphia um, who uh, participates in a Mama's Day, Day bailout, uh, bailing out black mothers in Philadelphia and other places around the country um, for Mother's Day so they can be back with their families. Um, and, you know, what we found in that situation of the 16 that were uh, bailed out in Philadelphia in 2018, nine of their cases were dismissed. You know, if it had not been for that organization, those mothers would have been languishing in jail for weeks and months um, and then had their cases dismissed. Um, and so this is what we're talking about here in terms of some of the disruption that's going on around the country. And quite honestly, I mean, the bail project is basically doing what bail bondsmen are doing, except not charging people. <laughs> um, and so and the bail project has found that 95 of people, 95 percent of the people who they bail out, you know, come back to court, finish their business and go on with their lives. Sure. Um, and so, you know, that's some of the activism that's going on as well. Um, and I think there's just, you know, a a raising of the consciousness um, of for, for our folk, I think in particular, because I think our folk have been doing this for a long time, bailing folks out and that sort of thing. You know, you know, some of our communities had bail funds, you know, bailing out, you know, sons and daughters for generations. But there is a raising, a raising of the consciousness, I think, um, of um, our folk and, you know, and people of goodwill who understand that there's something not right here. Um, about um, how we are dealing with uh, folks who are in these vulnerable positions. And I just want, you know, I just want to, to remind people, um, just think about the numbers. You know, over 30 years has been an increase, a uh, 100% increase in our jail, um, our jail numbers. Um, and it's mainly because of cash bail. It's mainly because people cannot afford their bail amounts. Just think about that. Like, so is there a change in society on the outside or is there a change in the way in which we are actually dealing with these issues and the goalposts are moving for folk uh, when they're in these positions of vulnerability um, and at the, at the whim of the criminal justice system? Very good. Now, I, I, I don't want to gloss over this because I think it's important, especially having such an insightful conversation uh, about a subject that, Many people don't interact with on a daily basis. How can we contribute in a meaningful way to helping shape 
outcomes around culpability rather than wealth in our communities? What are some meaningful contributions or ways that we can help as listeners of today's conversation? Well, you know, like I mentioned earlier, all this stuff is connected. Mm-hmm. All of it's connected. I mean, as it relates to bail, um, it, it does, um, first of all, it's educating ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. about um, what's really going on, you know, and having meaningful, uh, open-minded conversation um, with folk about what's really going on. Um, it's contributing, um, I think, you know, I think because of our film, there's a, a, a better awareness of these revolving bail funds, you know, folks contributing to bail funds and, or doing their own. Mm-hmm. Um, folks out, particularly, you know, who are who have been accused of crimes of property, that sort of thing, or, or crimes of wealth. Um, I think, um, you know, like we mentioned earlier, though, like the reason why there are so many black folks in front of judges, judges is because there are so many black folks getting arrested. Um, and I'm sure you saw this case in New Jersey of the two, a white boy and a black 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 kid uh, fighting in a mall. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the police officer, you know, hems up the black kid and the white kid's just sitting there, you know, and, you know, the black kid's roughed up and the white, I mean, so we, we know this happens every day at every single level of the criminal justice system. So it's connecting the dots, you know, and just thinking about like everything in this country, follow the money. You know, we spend 13, 14 billion dollars every year in incarcerating people in jail before they've gone to trial. $14 billion we spend on pretrial detention. Meaning these aren't folks who have been convicted of a crime yet. These are people who are in jail only because they can't pay their bills for the most part. 75% of them are people that can't pay their their bills, not, you know, not violent criminals or anything like that, but low level, you know, nonviolent offenders. $14 billion. I mean, think about the money that can be, how that money can be used for, you know, supporting folks in communities as opposed to jailing them only because they ain't got money to pay. Wow. Well said. Well said. Well, um, this has been uh, an incredibly insightful conversation. You are very much an inspiring person. Um, let's let folks know how we can keep up with you and some of your current and future projects. Are you on social media at all? Anything? I am on social media. Uh, underscore Chris L. Jenkins underscore on Instagram. Uh, not much of a Twitter user, but you know, at by Chris L. Jenkins. So at by Chris C H R I S L J E N K I N S is my Twitter handle. Handle. Um, you know, in the theme of trying to bring some, you know, it's some light to subjects that uh, go. Um, underreported or underappreciated. I'm working on a five-part series right now um, about residential housing segregation in Chicago, the history of it. Um, So the basis of our wealth gap so much is because of the policies of the 20th century, um, keeping black folks from gaining wealth through property and and home investment, real estate. Um, That was a design by the cities around the country. But, you know, really with the formation of that was Chicago, Illinois. who really designed a you know incredibly um, elaborate system of keeping black folks um, from um, either being able to buy into the suburbs or you know, kept them hemmed up in you know our communities. Um, so many you know real heroes tried to fight that system in the 30s and 40s. So we want to bring uh, some light uh, to uh, really what is at the heart of our racial wealth gap, um, and it starts with. 
um, real estate um, and black folks being hemmed out of real estate during the middle of the 20th century. And so we're taking a look at that. Um, and you know, I've got a couple of coverage can't, uh, projects I can't talk about at the moment, but that's the main mm-hmm. one that I'm working on right now. I'm looking forward to uh, getting that out to folks uh, at the beginning of next year. Well, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing it myself. So once again, uh, thank you very much for your insight. Um, today's guest is Chris Jenkins, uh, the producer of the YouTube original documentary Trapped Cash Bail in America. And before we go, I'll leave you with this. Even if we mind our own business, keep our affairs in order, and keep our noses clean, we could still find ourselves exposed to the cash bail system. A story from NBCNews.com shows us how this issue can make its way to our door. An Alabama woman named Jakari Letchaw had a pregnant dog that ended up giving birth at her neighbor's house. After going to retrieve her dog and puppies, a disagreement ensued regarding who the rightful owner of the dog and puppies was. Ms. Letchaw walked away only to be arrested later, jailed, and have her bail set at $60,000. Since she couldn't afford it, she lost her job and nearly lost her house all before she was able to even have her guilt or innocence determined. This is a community issue that requires a community approach. The good news is that we are a strong, resilient, and informed community. And with the resources and tactics we've discussed today, we can all push toward bail reform that works well for everyone. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on Our Daily Story. This is News Source 1 Michiana, Elkhart South Bend. 